0: about South fans, we're here this week with Michael Bibler. He's a professor at Louisiana State University. His monograph, Cotton's Queer Relations, examines the connections between same-sex relationships and social egalitarianism in literature of the Southern Plantation, published in the mid-20th century. He's currently working on a project about literalism. So he came by to talk to us about what that means, literally, and to talk about a subject of the book, the B-52s. You may know that the B-52s are originally from Athens, Georgia, but as Michael explains, that becomes a complicated designation when we attempt to understand a band whose work defies Southern categories. Our thoughts this week are also with the people in Baton Rouge dealing with the current flooding. Please visit www.lafloodrelief.org to learn how you can help, or text LAFloods to 90999 to make a $10 donation to the Red Cross. And after you've made that text, we'll get back to the B-52s. We're here this morning talking about the B-52s with Michael. This is a part of his next book which we were discussing last night it is on literalism and we'll maybe talk a little bit about what that means but we're going to start just michael if you could tell us about a general history of the b-52s maybe their connections to the south and why they initially were interesting to you
1: okay so yeah so the history is that the band formed in athens georgia in around seven late 77 78 and just as just for fun and then played at a party in athens in somebody's house and then played the next week in another party and then took a little break but then got started getting gigs in new york city and began sort of driving back and forth up to new york city to play at maxwell's kansas city and then cbgbs and other clubs and um so they were really the kind of the first band out of Athens, in, in the way we think of Athens as the music scene. Um, so they were before Pylon, they were before REM and things like that. So um, and then eventually they moved to New York because they needed venues. At that time, there were no venues in Athens for people to play original music. Um, it was before the Forty Watt Club and so on. So they moved to New York and um, and began touring, you know, the world really and. Um, so they didn't live, kind of live in Athens for a long, long time, um, in the sense that we think of the way R.E.M. Like, lived in Athens. But they kept coming back. And, and in their music, they also kept coming back. They referenced Athens a lot in their music, in the, in the lyrics. Um, so that's the history, kind of a short history of the band. They made it really big with their first single, Rock Lobster, um, which I have an anecdote about later. And then, um, the, you know their first two albums were really popular. They toured Japan, they toured Europe, they toured Australia and so on. And um, then in 85 with their fourth album, um, the guitarist Ricky Wilson died of AIDS or complications from AIDS. and they kind of disbanded for a little while. And then '89 they got bet together um, and did Cosmic Thing, the last four remaining members. And that was a huge hit because of Love Shack, obviously. They actually are still together and they still tour. Cindy stepped out for a while. Now she's back in it. And now Keith, who's one of the main musicians, um, after Ricky passed away, is um, is not not touring with them, but is sort of still affiliated with them. So the three the three singers, Fred, Cindy, and Kate, still tour. Um, and they just recorded the um, theme for Squidbillies. So I'm super excited about that.
0: And <laughs> growing up, you grew up in Aiken, South Carolina. So I grew up in
1: Aiken, South Carolina, which is probably like two and a half hours from Athens, and I can't pretend to have been at all connected with Athens, right? I can't, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, but I think because of the records that were available, but also the B-52s were an international hit by this point. So in high school, you know, I had some B-52s, I had friends with B-52s, so we listened to that with the rest of New Wave, post-punk, and, um, and I always liked them because, they were, because they're fun and they're silly, their lyrics are really kind of ridiculous in a way. Um, and then, and I've always had their albums and things, but then got back into to it recently in a more academic way, kind of thinking about um, how it was that this band that's very queer and quirky and tacky and weird came out of a small town in the South um, when it did and then also became such a huge hit Um, during the Reagan era, right? And you would not think that 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 band would be sort of representative of the Reagan era. So how how did this come about? They're a real interesting combination of things for me.
0: Well, and then, so how does this band come out of, at the time, I mean, Athens, as you said, now we think of it as this music scene mecca, or now it's a large, pretty large college town. Right. But in the late 70s, maybe still... A little bit of a sleepy college town
1: a little bit of a sleepy college town I mean um, and I'm drawing on this this pretty good research there's a party called I'm sorry a book called Party Out of Bounds um, about the sort of early history of Athens music Um, so I'm getting it from that there's a B-52s book um, like a history of Mm B-52s so so you know I've done my reading as it were such as it is so the thing about Athens is it was a college town it had like, you know, a kind of manufacturing plant. It's a small Southern, old Southern town. It has the university, but the university drew a lot of hippies there in the late sixties, early seventies. And it also got some kind of really big grant for the arts department. So it has had, and still has, I think, a huge kind of arts program. So that drew a kind of unusual or, or sort of unconventional small population of college students as well. Um, so Fred went to UGA for forestry because he was interested in conservation and then dropped out and was just working at the record, club, uh, record store and waiting tables and things. Um, and the others just sort of lived there. Um, so they were part of this small group of people who, that had some art students and some sort of ex-hippies or hippies um, who were just kind of the weird group in town Um, would go to parties and apparently they all would like walk around town in drag and things like that which you think small southern college town especially like football school right it's not going to work but somehow they just had this weirdness that was kind of okay it sounds like in the town Um, I mean still weird and disturbing to lots of people and they still got you know yelled at and things but um, so that kind of just allowed um, a bohemian edge to it I think that so that when they came together and started playing music um they were just jamming and had fun and and somebody want had somebody was having a party and wanted a band so they asked and, and nobody in Athens had ever done that had a band in their house but everybody was so shocked and and loved it and apparently they'd hung barbie dolls from the ceiling in the room and all these sort of campy tacky stuff um and it was such a big hit that somebody else had a bigger party the next week and had them play at that um, so that, so I think um, there's a way that it, it comes out of the history of the small college town that's that allows for that weirdness that some college towns didn't have, but UGA was just the right combination for that.
0: Well, and there are a lot of weird kids in the South. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why that is. Maybe there are a lot of weird kids everywhere.
1: I think that's true.
0: <laughs> that's, that's probably true. <laughs> um, there is something maybe in some, some small southern towns to particularly if we go back you 30, 40 years, that weird kids had to band together. It wasn't like you could go on the internet and find your weird colleagues. You had to go and meet your weird colleagues and get a critical mass, right?
1: Right, and do it all yourself. You couldn't go to Hot Topic if you wanted to be alternative, right? You had to go to thrift stores.
0: You had to make your own Barbie doll fringe. Right, Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) right. And also, I think like Athens was small and it was cheap. So you could live there, you could afford to live there. And it wasn't Atlanta. So Atlanta was at that time, I think was trying from what I understand was trying to be very boosterish. and um, there was like a gay community in Athens in Atlanta, but it was I think it was trying to be sort of like kind of a boosterish gay community. and um, it that just didn't I think the combination of expense and um, of Atlanta and the size probably, Um, It just made it easier I think in a smaller town for all these weird kids to kind of form the group. Yeah
0: Now you said later. I mean they go to New York pretty early because they have to for production um, and touring and To get the type of recognition that they need to make it, but you said that they repeatedly returned to Athens both physically and Through their music. So what are some good examples in their music where they're returning to what we might think of as southern content or themes or ideas.
1: Right. Well, um, they come back to it a number of times in different songs. Um, sometimes they just name it outright, Athens. So in Butterbean, which is on um, Wild, Pl- no, sorry, Whammy Pl- uh, from 1982, um, that starts out. Um, well, if you go down to Athens, GA, and you're driving in your car, you won't get very far before you hear someone shout, what's that? Butterbean! Yay! Um, so they name Athens directly. And I think there, for example, they do it to help signify or let people know that what butterbeans are. Because I think if you're probably not from the South, you're not as used to or familiar with butter beans as a dish, maybe? I want to get into like Southern Foodways essentialism, because I don't know. But... <laughs> you know especially if you're from Japan you're not gonna know yeah if you go down to Athens GA and you're driving in your car you won't get very far before you hear people shout now why do you think we
0: um a few weeks ago, we had Scott Heathon and we were talking about the difference between why people associate certain acts with the South and not others, particularly around racial lines or even within the difference between outcast and d'Angelo, for example, right why haven't we or I don't know now maybe people do, but I don't know that people think b fifty two's southern band right. Why not
1: so they always marketed themselves as that that tacky little dance band from athens ga and i don't know if that was warner brothers promoting them that way or they came up with it or it was in a review and that stuck and they liked it but um but it's still a sort of their tag name right um but it's not it's never the south which mm, is interesting
0: good. that is interesting
1: and their music is not southern And it's weird to describe them as a southern band because they're not like southern rock and they're not like country and they're not, you know.
0: My question then, is that a problem with the container of southern that we limit it to certain things? Or is that just by the nature of what they were doing? Because if they are from Athens and they did get their start here and they sound like this, then you could also say, well, that is what the south sounds like because there it is right
1: right which is part of what drew me to them again academically rather than just as fan um because that it's not that they're not southern it's just that what we think of as southern how do we fit this out this component in there how do we understand what that why why how did they come out of this um so but i, I think it, if you expand it enough to include like every metal band, every punk band, every post-punk band, every pop band that's from the South or talks about the South in their lyrics, then there's a totally useless label, Southern.
0: What about their over-the-top performance, the, the camp and the tackiness to it? Is that regionally inflected or is that only being read back onto them now?
1: I so my 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 theory is that it it is it is regionally inflected that we did in a way that we would not recognize as southern because it doesn't have the usual signifiers of southern. So if you put them next to southern culture on the skids, for example, it's really clear how southern culture on the skids is using southern signifiers: overalls, um, kind of picking on the guitar, um, you know, the, the heavy duty accent. I mean. Fred Schneider is not from the South, but he has a pretty heavy Southern accent in a lot of his songs, um, but not in the way like Southern culture on the Skids does. Right, but they grew up um, or came of age in Athens, going to the thrift store every day to see what was new. Right, so to me, what the, their tackiness and and their southernness partly comes from a, that's this kind of DIY, going to the thrift store and building your own aesthetic. Um, that comes out of that. And actually, the the B-52 hairdos and things, I think, are very Southern in that when they got together, there were still women in, in and around the South who were wearing those kind of older, by that point, hairstyles. So they're ref- referencing, at least early, in that moment, a kind of contemporaneity of this thrift, thrift South, as it were.
0: Um, yeah, this older South or older like women's aesthetic reimagined into their, into their kind of new wave right universe right we were talking last night this idea literalism is when something means exactly what it says it means right not to be confused with metaphor or yes not to be confused with metaphor and not with oh i'm literally dying right <laughs> you are not literally dying so how does literalism work in their songs
1: so that's the thing I'm still working out but okay. <laughs> um, so the, the, my favorite example is one of their first songs that Fred Schneider wrote most of the lyrics to there's a moon in the sky and it's called the moon <laughs> right which makes you laugh because it's sort of so obvious yes and it, what it does it does is it collapse the moon with a moon and then the rest of the song is about, and he goes, and everybody else is there, including Saturn, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and they go through the planets, the Van Allen belt. And, and then later in the song, because the song's like five minutes long, um, he says, you know, if you're in outer space and you feel out of place, don't worry because there are thousands of others like you. And the way I read this is actually he's using this kind of literalism of the moon the moon is a moon moon, and so any other heavenly body has to be its own thing Um, and this puts a a kind of different spin on how we think so the planets don't become metaphors of anything else except maybe just how to relate to people because everybody else is out there
0: Um, we're all just floating around. we're all just floating
1: around in space Um, so they have a song like Butterbean is is about butterbeans. But it they have it has lines like butterbeans grow on the vine. Um, pick them hull them put on the steam that's how we fix butterbeans. Um so that so even when it starts to become like you could maybe say the song is about desire cuz and and pleasure cuz it kind of is about that and everybody loves butterbeans um but it, and so that, you know, desire is kind of, again, universal to everybody, but they also keep doing this literal thing that's like, but it's also just butter beans. You can keep your collards, you can have your yams, but give me a plate of butter beans. So they're really <laughs> specific about it's butter beans.
0: The butter beans are not, is like, some covert term for something Just
1: else. when you think it's going to start becoming a symbol, it, becomes, it goes back to the literal. Ask me a plate bowl, I'll be grateful. One, two... Up, them, on steam. That's how we rock Lobster has that um, up, You know, he reached in It wasn't a rock, it was a rock lobster And there's a great um, Cover of one of the singles That has a picture Of a rock and a picture of a Blue lobster No! Yes, it's a blue lobster. The blue lobster. There's a blue lobster
0: behind you.
1: It's, but it's not the live one.
0: No, it's it's that's a.
1: I'm waiting for the live blue crayfish.
0: The live blue crayfish has not come yet. Are you going to participate in the naming contest? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a suggestion now? No.
1: Okay. I have to come up with something good. Okay. But anyway, on the on On the the cover, there's a blue lobster. There's a blue lobster and a rock, and under the rock it says rock, and under the lobster it says lobster. Right. So even the artwork kind of does this literalism thing. Rock Lobster was this sort of independent DIY hit. It was, I guess, it was back in the time when you could do your own single and then go around to the clubs and sell your single when you played, and then enough radio people would pick it up and then. So it's probably a different musical industry now. I don't know, but um, it had become this big hit, and John Lennon famously was like in a bar in Florida, and there was a disco upstairs, but he was downstairs in the bar. And they played that single, Rock Lobster, on the, phone, on the um, PA system. And he went to the phone and called Yoko Ono and said, we, have you listened to this song? We have to get back in the studio. So and then he and Yoko got back in the studio and they did Double Fantasy. And, and so in the most unlikely pairing you would think, the B-52s re-inspired John Lennon to start recording music again. <laughs>
0: wow but it's not surprising when you think about it because i think i mean Lennon was always drawn to the outsider aesthetic
1: yeah i think you're right it also is that one of their big influences as a band is actually yoko ono i can see that yeah so when on rock lobster when they're going and all those sounds um i'm not doing any more than that but um that sounds like yoko ono kind of doing her throat singing thing whatever The most famous example is the one that gives everybody so much trouble, which is out of Love Shack, when she sings Tin Roof Rusted, and all the interviews are about what does that mean, and the, and all they can ever tell you is how it wound up in the song as a lyric, but it doesn't have any meaning except Tin Roof Rusted, but we want it to mean more than it means, and then it doesn't, which is kind of camp in a different way.
0: Yeah, it's just... Words.
1: Right. It's just words. And they meet, right. And, it, and they're words that are deployed in a way that shuts down other meanings.
0: Right. Because, okay, so, so, so I'm heading down the Atlanta loop. Highway. Right. Looking for a love getaway. Right. And then it's the bang bang on the door part. Right. And then she says, Ten roof rusted. He goes, he
1: goes You're what? Ten uh, roof rusted. And then the music starts up again, right? It's this moment with no music behind it
0: right so as if it must have heavy meaning right everything else about the soundscape there is suggesting like this is the most important reveal in the song yeah it actually means nothing
1: it just means the tin roof is rusted or has rusted i'm not sure which right yeah (laughs) both it's a condition and an action right (laughs) but it does not mean anything else but it feels like it should So, but they do the same thing orally in There's a Moon in the Sky Called the Moon, um, where he says, everybody's there. And then he just shouts the name of planets. <laughs> Saturn! Mercury! <laughs> <laughs> so they also become... So one way I think is this, that literalism works, this is getting very academic about it, is that it's a meaning that becomes bigger than itself without becoming different from itself in the way we think of metaphor or symbol so that the word is just a vehicle for some other thing. You just have to focus on the tin roof rusted. And then it winds up in like urban dictionary as meaning like you got pregnant before marriage or something like that. Um, But all of that is just speculated. It has no no grounding in the song. It's just it's hot as an oven in here. And so we're dancing and the tin roof is rusted. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's all it is. But
1: That's part of what makes them so like that's what makes you laugh. When you think about it, like, you don't laugh as, like, it's hot in a, as an oven in here. It's not a funny line, right? But ten roof rested. Or there's a moon in the sky called the moon. It's a really funny line because we, it makes us focus on that literal meaning. Which yeah. Is fun. One
0: of the issues there is that they, because they aren't starting with obvious symbols of the South, like, obvious stereotypical images of the South, it allows them more movement around how they're performing themselves out of Georgia or returning to Georgia. Right. They're not going for the straight ahead, you see overalls, you know what you want to think, we're going to flip that. They're not using any symbol that they're then flipping. But that has to do with the fault of the audience that they... The irony of Southern culture on the skids and overalls is that the audience already knows, is already attached meaning to the original symbol. Right. In some cases, it seems like they're using symbols that maybe the audience hasn't already attached at least a Southern meaning to. And then that allows them to work out in different ways what they're playing with. And then it turns out they're not playing with anything. They're just singing about butter beans. Right. <laughs> this is just a song about the devil in my car, which is... Funny because I think you said last night um they had heard a sermon where the preacher yeah they is. were they were
1: in a car going to see a band I forget who Captain Beefheart I think and um, they had the AM radio on and the dev- there was a pre- southern preacher and who was saying the devil's everywhere he's here he's here he's here he's also he's even in your car and they thought it was hysterically funny so they wrote a song called Devil in My Car and it's about the devil in their car so he's got his he's got his cloven hoof on the clutch. Um, he's driving me to hell now. We're going 90 miles an hour. Um, I don't need no battery because I got the devil in my car.
0: (laughs) He has all the energy. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Where does he put his tail? Does it say?
1: It doesn't say. Hmm. Yeah, they they're already immersed in this kind of uh, m- less just just southern musical exchange or influence, right? But um but I think they're still coming out of out of it in a way that it allows it to travel rather than becoming potentially kind of stuck as a southern band or something like that.
0: Yeah, not as a limiting term. Right. I hate that it is. I mean, we still popularly think of it as a limiting term, or it means this, like, pretty rigid set of signifiers. Right. But maybe it doesn't have to.
1: I guess it doesn't have to, but it all, you can, I think you also can't throw it away.
0: No, you can't throw it away. Otherwise, it means nothing.
1: Right. And also, yeah, and, and, uh, but also then somehow, the, you know, the, there's no difference regionally or no, you, you know, you have to talk about what's unique about Athens. But right. what they do is they change the words by which you do that. It's about Butter Beans. It's about Normal Town. It's about Well, Allen's ironically, <laughs> what's unique about
0: Athens is they seem to be suggesting that, like, nothing's, it's unique in that there's nothing unique about it from other, many other places. It's Butter Beans and hearing the preacher on the radio in a dry county. I mean, it's these things that exist everywhere. It's just their spin and take on it, right. they're able to twist it into something by leaving it almost exactly what it is. Right. They're Which not is... hyping up some massive performance of southernness. They're performing themselves who were created out of these elements. Right?
1: I think that's perfect. I think it's a great explanation of it. And it's what I would call the thrift store aesthetic, right? I'm in the thrift store picking up the remains of capitalism and putting them on and doing it because that's what I have to work with, right? It's very DIY. DIY, DIY. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. I mean, it's uh, it's very similar to a lot of the other things we've talked about. Pass-a-quan. It's taking what you have, where you are, and making something that may seem like it totally could not have come out of there. But the point is, is it did come out of there.
1: Right. Another thing I was thinking about their style, like thinking of them as a kind of early beginning of Reagan era um, band, but how did how were they so kind of queer, right? I mean, some people thought Kate and Cindy were actually drag queens on stage rather than actual women, right? Um, In their, at the very beginning of their career. So, so I was also trying to think like, they're so unabashedly queer in a way so campy and kind of unapologetic about that but they're not um they're not outspoken in that they have come out in their lyrics or something like that they're doing something so i was trying to think how how would that be um and i actually kind of without having worked it out i kind of think it's an interesting thing about the south where people a kind of tacitness about queerness sometimes So, like you know especially in small towns like well everybody knows the choir director at the church is gay or whatever right but but nobody ever says that word or talks about it but just everybody knows um and it's because they like him it's quite quietly accepted in a way i mean it's not to say that the south is not homophobic in lots of ways right but um they get to because they're so weirdly themselves and so weirdly camp it's kind of everybody knows so it's not a thing
0: yeah Uh, not an issue (laughs) it's not even like an open secret it's just like it's a little bit i mean it's the men like that argument right right that they're oh that those two men have been roommates forever right and then everyone knows what that means and then every no one really pauses to talk about it right because it's old news it's no news right
1: it's no news um and it also isn't isn't um like making them fit a cat like oh therefore they are part of the gay agenda or something like that they're just who they are right you kind of pay less attention to the category and more to the people in a way which again makes it sound all nicey nice and
0: yeah we're not going that way yeah it's still problematic
1: it's still problematic but it's not the closet it's not that they're in secret and it's so it's it's an open it's an it's a tacitness that's not quite an open secret in a way so the weirdest thing to me is that in the research i was doing on the history of the band that so ricky died of complications from aids in 85 but after love shack was such a huge hit in 92 i think maybe or around there is when fred schneider and and keith both came out but I, i i thought everybody had already always known right um so it must be that sort of they came out professionally or or um you know it wasn't that they were revealing a secret but i guess to some listeners they were revealing a secret but then i think you're not listening very closely to the B 52s if you didn't know that you're not but, paying attention
0: <laughs> if you think this is the big reveal
1: yeah so it's strange to me that um that then they got so big that they had to like make it official and in fact everybody kind of already knew it's 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 an interesting phenomenon that i don't think we quite have the words to talk about how that works yet It's also literal in that, like you don't have to think about it. You also don't have to like figure out what's going on. They want what what the band wants you to do is dance. That's what their audience has always done, right? So it's also so literal. Like it it, it is an artifice. It's over the top. It's it. This is literally a performance. It's kind of. I don't know if there's nothing behind it, right? But it's you. You just don't worry about what's behind it. Yeah. Just, you just in listen and enjoy. It just is what it is. <laughs> right. So, the, I mean, the lyrics of Love Shack actually kind of enact that. Like, everybody's in there wearing next to nothing. Who cares? Right? Stop worrying about that stuff. Don't worry about what Tin Roof Rusted meant. Who cares what it means? There just, is nothing.
0: Because it doesn't mean anything except if Tin Roof is rusted. Right. Yeah.
1: And if you're in the Love Shack worried about what that means, you're not doing it right. No. You're not <laughs> so, doing it right.
0: For listening this week, and big thanks to Michael Bibbler for sitting down with us. We also wanted to let you know that the Blue Crayfish Instagram user referenced in the first post has since spotted another blue crayfish in southeastern Pennsylvania. We'll keep you posted on the details. About South is brought to you each week from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is co-producer. And speaking of Kelly Vines, Kelly Vines, our co-producer. You know yes, Kelly well.
1: I do know Kelly well.
0: Can we just talk for a minute about how Kelly Vines is the best gift giver that's ever been?
1: She is. We both have, this is what we learned this morning, we both have the same Gone with the Wind pill box.
0: I know. What, I put Altoids in mine.
1: <laughs> I do too. Or I actually put um, like Tylenol and stuff in there too.
0: Oh, you keep real pills in there? Yeah, no, I just keep those little altoid smalls.
1: Because also then if I'm at a conference and I have a headache, I can pull my Gone with the Wind pill box out and take my Tylenol so that everybody sees my Gone with the Windmill box. <laughs> oh, I do it, though.
0: I do it but with mints. Right. Yeah. It's
1: good. But yeah, I have a really amazing octopus mug and she also gave me a very complicated um, Cthulhu card game which I can't figure out how to play.
0: <laughs> you tried to explain it to me earlier? I have
1: no idea. And
0: I can't. I was like, your explanation, I can't even follow.
1: I don't out. know what's going on. You it's too complicated. I'm going to have to sit down with Kelly and play it.
0: I'm going to, when you said the cards are transparent and they build things, that's when my brain shut off. Yeah. Music is by Brian Horton. You can buy his music at brianhorton.com. You can visit and contact us at aboutsouthpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at aboutsouthpod. Please listen and subscribe to About South on your preferred podcast platform. And please tell your friends and family to listen and subscribe to About South on their preferred podcast platform. Next week, we're talking to Scott Romine about moon pies, cheerwine, RC Cola, mm, fancy artisanal grits, and what we might mean by the real South. We'll see you next week.